Welcome to A Novel Life, a podcast about living life in a novel way. I am Lauren Ruth Martin, a licensed therapist in Tennessee. We talk about a lot of things that involve therapy. However, this is not therapy. So if you want to do the work, make sure you are hooked up with a licensed professional. Let's start the show. Welcome back to another week and what a friggin' week it has been. I try my darndest to not cuss on this podcast, even though in real life I cuss up a storm and oh my gosh. So I do want to talk about what happened last week and on the Capitol. Um, I know that at this point we are just now at a week out from it and The main thing that I want to express is that while seeing the event shook me, it was not surprising and in the response to it. And as a woman with a ton of privilege, as a a white woman, I get away with a lot of things and seeing what happened play out on TV, TV just really shows me um, the work that we have to do. I will admit, I think that after the election, I took that breath that I I needed to. Um, And once the election was called, um, I took the breath that I, I personally needed to And in that, and especially after seeing what happened over the past week, I have to start asking myself, um, it was I doing a little all or nothing. And there was a great post on Instagram that I reposted and, um, it was on my stories, but essentially what it was about is the idea of anti-racism work. And I, and, and this is also going to go into, um, this also goes into the anti-Semitism um, stuff that's going on too. Um, what happened was awful. And I think when we think about where to move from here, becoming an ally and working towards being an ally, cause it's never really a destination. It's a, it's a journey. And I am not the one to, I, I think we should be listening to our, um, our black, our Jewish, our Hispanic, our native, we should be listening to other people about how to be a good ally. I'm just sharing my platform real brief about what this process looks like and how it ties to perfectionism. Perfectionism is often what keeps us back. Um, and it often is what keeps our, our ego fragile. And I think if we can put our, our desire to be perfect aside and open us, open up our willingness to learn and to make mistakes and to be called out in kindness, um, I, th- I think that's going to be more effective for the long-term work that has to be done against racism. So it's not being afraid to post something on your, on your, all, everybody's Instagram, everybody's social media is a platform, not being afraid to post it. And if you get a correction, taking the feedback, um, if it's having a difficult conversation and maybe it's not going, you know, all out and raising hell and, you know, scorched earthing, but planting seeds, that's better than no movement at all. And I think that what we saw this week was a, was an, in part, something that's been brewing for a while. But I think for those of us that felt like we were doing the work, I think 
that felt like we were doing the work, I can admit for myself, I think I was sprinting and, and I wasn't able to really pace myself nor really know if what I was doing was right. So my ego started to get in the way and now I'm having to challenge that. And so for those of y'all that are listening that are trying to do the work or trying to figure out those first steps to being, um, becoming an ally and working on that process and continuing to address these really harsh realities that are exhausting to bring up, but I'm so thankful that it is being brought up because we can now start taking action just one step at a time, one conversation at a time, one article at a time, continue to challenge yourself, continue to challenge your bubbles. Let's tackle this because it's not going anywhere. Let's take a breather. We'll be right back. All right, this week's question comes from the self-care 5k sign up. So don't forget on January 24th, 2021, it is our self-care 5k day. And what you're doing is committing to 3.1 hours of self-care. I'm going to hop on Instagram live from noon to 3.06 p.m. to answer your questions, go through the workbook and just have like an open workshop about self-care. So if you want to sign up, go to novelcounseling.com. You'll see at the top a novel life self-care 5k. Sign up, you'll get your workbook and hang out with us. So the question is more of like an uncomfortable of questions because I a, a topic that will for sure go over during the 5k is going to be about guilt related to self care. This topic came up a lot in different um, in different ways, shapes and forms. So when we think about guilt related to self care, I think this goes back to the def like what we're defining self care as. Self-care can be very practical. It doesn't always have to be very luxurious. Self-care is about giving ourselves time to breathe and space. And so when we think about the guilt associated with self-care, I'm going to use the radically open DBT skills, the SAGE skill to help you work through that. Now, when it comes to the SAGE skill, the letter S as I'm pulling it up, I should know it by heart, but I forget things a lot. Okay, so we have to use self-inquiry to determine if the shame is warranted. And there's usually a whole handful of questions that we would go through. But when we think about this idea of guilt associated with self-care, we have to look at context. Where are you feeling the guilt? Is the guilt... Um, more of an internal experience. So there's guilt related to yourself, or you feel guilty because of um, your belief system. This really challenges your belief system. Is there a particular person in your life that's maybe causing some guilt? Is it because there's stuff that is undone and you feel a little off, you know, investing in yourself? So you have to think about where's the source of the guilt coming from and what beliefs are arising from that. When we determine if shame is warranted or unwarranted, the three things that will determine if shame is warranted would be if you purposefully lied, fabricated, or failed to disclose important information in order to benefit yourself. Um, If your behavior significantly damages important relationships, but benefits yourself, um, or if your behavior resulted in severe physical or psychological injury 
to another person or your community as a result of your greed, envy, malice, overconfidence, negligence. So that's like a for sure guilt thing. I'm imagining that for majority of y'all that that your guilt is going to be unwarranted because or your shame is going to be unwarranted because what you're doing is not egregious or causing harm to somebody else. And so when shame is unwarranted, you go opposite to urges to hide. And so what that looks like is um, if, if it's yourself, if the guilt is coming from yourself, you're going to throw yourself into that self care, whatever it is, it may not be fun. Because like what I said, over the previous weeks, when we're learning how to do self care, it's going to feel awkward, it's going to feel different, we're gonna have to really work through that guilt and remind ourselves that we're learning something new. However, let's just say if your guilt goes or your shame goes into the partially warranted side, then there's this a level of appeasement. And that might be looking at our roommates or um, those that we work with, the people that this self-care might get in the way of and say like, hey, I am learning how to do this. I'm learning how to incorporate self-care into my routine. You may not be used to it, or I may not be managing my time well, and I really, I need to do this. So I would appreciate it if you would like, you know, if you would work with me with this, or I'm sorry if this is getting in the way, how can I make it up? The idea is, is to look at self-care a little bit more like a necessity because if it's going outside, I'll never forget when I worked in restaurants, since I didn't smoke cigarettes, I wouldn't take a break. But if you smoked cigarettes, you would take a break. And the thing is, I could easily go outside and ask for a break, but I didn't because it wasn't socially acceptable in that field. And that, like that is unwarranted shame. I could go outside and take a breath. So that same concept is your first step in how managing shame related to self-care. Okay, so you're probably wondering when you saw this week's title of Bottom Up. I thought it was Bottoms Up, girl. Uh, no, we're talking about Bottom Up therapies and what that means and how going beyond talking in therapy. Um, this was inspired by a, um, I reposted something from um, the Truth Doctor about how we need, like therapy is more than just talking it out. And um, I got a message about how, like, we hear this all the time, like, do your way out. Well, what does that even mean? And so I want to offer some practical tips on that. And in the same token, I'm, I'm always about the mindset and, and explaining things in broad brush and, and seeing how you can frame up your perspective to see where there are opportunities to begin intervening through your body as opposed to sticking in your brain. Now, why is this important? Um, especially for those of y'all that are over-controlled. So let me go on a ramble for a little bit. Let me give you some backstory and then I will go into the topic. So the backstory, um, there's a wide range of therapies, but there's essentially two-ish categories. The two categories I'm going to talk about, there are top-down therapies. And this is similar to, I mean, when I think about standard DBT, it is very much more top-down because what you're trying to do is slow down the um, emotionality going on and relying on that logic to bring the emotion from like a 10 to like a five. And when we think about top-down therapies, 
these are rooted in more traditional therapies because it's going to be more thought-based. Um, and it's also more about the idea of challenging those thoughts, grounding yourself. Um, you're, you're really doing a lot of work in your brain. And it's the idea that if you can shift your thoughts, shift your thinking, shift your perception in that way, then the you should be able to regulate yourself from that point. When you think about the other type, which is bottom up, which is what radically open DBT fits in, bottom up therapy is really about focusing on shifting what's going on in your body first. So changing your physiology in order to open up your nervous system in order to change your ways of thinking. So if you think top down is change your thoughts, that changes the rest of your life. And for radically open DBT and other body based therapies, um, whether that's EMDR, somatic experiencing, I don't know enough about those therapies to speak to it. But if we think about more body based therapies, what we're trying to do is pinpoint what where it's going in the body. Um, polyvagal theory, which is also a huge influence on radically open DBT. You can Google all that. This the idea the concept of bottom up is giving your body resources and giving your um, your body resources so that your brain can access more resources. And the reason that this is important, especially for those of y'all that are over controlled, is that your body has a tendency to take over and trigger your brain into rigid thinking. Um, if we think about the idea of feeling comfortable or feeling at peace, um, being over controlled thrives on having a sense of control over your body. And so if you are very much controlling your body and your emotional responses and everything going on, your nervous system is going to get out of whack. And so it's going to backfire on you in some ways. It's going to lead to periods of numbness because you're not going to know how to feel things out. And so getting back in touch with your body and managing some of those ugh, discomforts and learning to work through the discomfort is what helps with getting back to a more flexible place. If we think about this in trauma, and if we think about the poly, like polyvagal theory and what that's all about, the idea in this, and again, I'm speaking very broadly about this. I would encourage you to do the reading on these theories um, to get a more in-depth knowledge. I'm giving you like just a taste of what this stuff means. But if we think about with our bodies trying to reset our body, trying to, um, if we've experienced trauma, learning to reacclimate to those triggers and work through them. The idea of that is to, again, reset our nervous system so that it's able to do the job that it was made to do. Things like trauma, things like depression, things like anxiety, um, different experiences that we've gone through, um, are the way that our personalities are shaped. Um, so if we have personality disorders, like the biases that we shape, our brain and our body are so connected. And so when we have a better awareness of what our body is doing, and also knowing what the function of each of our nervous systems are, then we get reacquainted, we have a better relationship with them. And then we're able to have our body on our side and also have a higher tolerance and openness to experiencing that discomfort because that is what our body is trying to do. I need my body to, I need my threat system to be activated so I don't play in the street. 
I need my overwhelmed shutdown system to exist so that I don't burst into flames. That's not very scientific, but I think you get to where I'm going. So if we're speaking from an RODBT perspective and how that relates to our bodily reactions to things. In RO, a lot of what we talk about is activating social safety. And social safety is our parasympathetic nervous system, which is having a more open, relaxed social stance. And I think I've done an episode on what is social safety. I'm going to pause and confirm that. I've done an episode on what is a social signal, but I've not done an episode on what is social safety, which tells me I should probably do an episode, which I will do sometime in the next month on breaking down the different nervous systems so that you can understand that. Uh, Sorry about that. So when we think about social safety, it's not it's not about always feeling comfortable. Social safety is about being open to the moment so that we can be congruent and open and sociable, despite feeling discomfort or despite having the thoughts that we are anxious or the thoughts that the vibes are off. This is not being fake. This is not overcorrecting. It's about having a sense of ease and congruency to what is going on. So how do we, how do we work with our body in order to get through things? Um, So the example that I'm going to give for this is going to be a little bit more on the RO framework. It's going to be similar to the episode of what is a social signal, because when we think about doing our way out, it all depends about what behaviors or what social signaling we engage in that keep us stuck. And so if I am a person that when I am anxious, I tend to make my posture small. I slouch my shoulders in. I tend to turn in. I turn my voice changes and I make myself I make myself small by changing the volume and the tone of my voice. And so when I do this, as I'm doing this and you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm making myself small and I have a lot of tension in my throat. I have a lot of tension in my shoulders and a lot of tension in my stomach and it it's physically changing everything. I'm going to have to regulate my body. It's not regulate my body, but I'm going to have to activate my social safety system by taking a deep breath and exhaling and shifting my posture. I'm, I'm pulling my shoulders back as we're talking about this because that breath and that tension in my chest and in my throat and the tension that I'm holding in my shoulders and making myself small is signaling to my brain that I should stay in threat and I should work my way into the overwhelmed system so that I can hide. So we think like, okay, what are practical ways to intervene through our body? Your first practical step is to pay attention to your breath. And I know I've done a video on this that I'll, I'll end up putting on Car Chronicles at some point um, on the feed. Our breath is our resource and it is our constant reset button. A lot of times we have a tendency to take deep breaths in without focusing on the exhale, which causes us to hold more tension in our chest. So the first thing when you think about regulating or I keep saying regulating your body, but to, to get reacquainted with your nervous system is to pay attention to your breath and to shift it when you notice yourself being tight with it or when you're not breathing. A lot of us don't breathe throughout our day. I have a tendency to do 
audible sighs a lot, especially when I am overwhelmed. <laughs> it could almost be classified as a social signal. It's more of a habit, but I sigh audibly a lot in order to reset my body because I carry so much tension in my chest area. So that breathing and resetting that your breath, and I'm noticing my breath changing as I'm talking about it, your breath is a very big access point to our parasympathetic nervous system. So your first thing is breath. The second thing is going to be posture. And I know that a lot of y'all hear things about like power postures and confidence stances and everything like that. I just want you to notice how you hold your body in different contexts and in different situations so that you can begin picking up on your little nuanced habits with your body. And then when I say work more to towards a more open stance, it, the idea is using big gestures, um, having your shoulders back, um, making sure that you even move in your posture. There's a strong chance that if you're more on the over-controlled side, your your stance or your posture or how you sit is very, uh, it's very tight. So it's either tightly, like it's tightly bound in almost like a hermit or it is very, very stoic and very, very solid, but unmoving. So if we think about our breath, if we think about our posture, what we're shifting to is going from one of um, there, the theme in these first two things is movement. So movement in our arms, movement in our breath, movement in our bodies. Now, the idea of, of sitting in the middle and scaling. So if we think step one is noticing your breath, step two is noticing your posture. Step three, which I'm going to elaborate on this for a little bit. So hang on tight. Step three is that I want you to contextualize. And so what does contextualize mean? A lot of us, we do not identify what anxiety feels like to us. We don't identify what depression feels like to us. We don't identify the intensity in which we are experiencing things. So therefore, we a lot of us have a tendency to go from zero to 10. And we want to feel zero you know, we want to feel comfortable, especially if it's like a, an emotion like anxiety or fear. We don't want to be at that 10. And the thing is, is that if we're pursuing comfort, that's going to really backfire. But the way that we work through very difficult body sensations is contextualizing them. Uh, and so I'm going to take on a few different sort of stances with this. Um, using the radically open DBT um, awareness continuum, which is lesson 12, you begin identifying your experience of anxiety. So you identify your thoughts. I'm aware of the thought of anxiety. I'm aware of the thought that I am overwhelmed. I am aware of the thought that I have a lot of thoughts. Those You're identifying those and not justifying them. You then begin describing your body sensations. I'm aware of, the, of my body feeling numb. I'm aware of the feeling of tension in my chest. I'm aware of the sensation of my toes tingling. Um, I have a very specific spot on my head that tingles in certain situations. Um, and then we can identify emotions and mental images. But when we contextualize our body sensations and begin describing exactly where those sensations are happening, when we begin scaling them, we can then go even more into it 
and a little bit deeper level. Um, so I actually had a client that was experiencing a lot of pain, like a lot of physical pain, um, a while back. And we started working on this exercise that was around identifying the pain points and giving them a color and being able to, it's almost like having like glowing points when you look at those, um, TV things. So contextualizing can even look like coming up with an illustration of them. So we were observing this like map of this client's body and these different pain points that were radiating certain colors. And whenever we would breathe in, the, the colors would light up. And when we'd breathe out, the colors would dim down. And we contextualized it because essentially what we're doing is separating the person from the experience. And so whenever you're having intense physical reactions to things. If you're aware of how your body's presenting at the time, so posture, if you're aware of your breath, having those anchor points can help you with contextualizing what's going on. Because when we describe our experience, we're now, so to use an acceptance and commitment therapy term, we're now diffusing. We are now separating ourselves from our thoughts. We're separating ourselves from our experience so that we're not so engrossed in the feeling and in the situation that we are drowning. So what we're doing is throwing ourselves a life raft by contextualizing whatever symptoms we have. Um, that tingling that I told you all about that I get, it, it, it's in the crown of my head and it's happened maybe like two or three times and it's very, very vivid memories and it's hilarious because it's the same spot on my head. Um, but I don't read into what does it mean? I'm, I just identify it as the sensation itself and rank it. Um, we can get curious about, okay, what might the signal be showing me? But if we don't have, if we're not separating ourselves from that, so if we're not giving context, if we're not scaling and we're trying to figure out what it's indicating to us, we're still going to be very engrossed in figuring out and trying to figure out too much at once. So the core of what to do when you're trying to regulate your body bottoms up is um, again, contextualizing and then intervening through your body by shifting your posture, by slowing down your breath, focusing on your exhale. Those are different ways. That's like the general concept. Other resources for regulating your body if it tends to be very sensitive or to almost go into overdrive um, progressive muscle relaxation is great. And this is something that you can do while you're working. Um, progressive muscle relaxation is just taking different parts of your body, whether it's your hands or your feet and tensing them up and then relaxing them. That's really great for releasing, um, tension in your body. Um, the standard DBT tip skill, um, temperature, intense exercise, pace, breathing, progressive muscle relaxation. That's just a really great resource to have. You can Google it, but it's essentially, um, cold water on your face, um, using the divers reflex, um, ice packs on your face, doing like some, um, for intense exercise, you have to be mindful if you have an eating disorder or any sort of heart conditions with this skill. But the intense exercise is basically to get your body to match your brain so it can naturally regulate. So you're trying to raise your heart rate. Um, paced breathing and progressive muscle relaxation, again, are about having some tension and release in the same moment. Um, that's 
the tip skill is essentially helpful if you're almost if you're really in a panic sort of state like from a like you want to get from a 10 to an 8 um something also to keep in mind though with this is that we don't want to constantly be pursuing our body being in a comfortable state we want our body to be in a state of fluid and mindful movement so gentle movement and also being in a state that is congruent to what is happening. And so if I'm, you know, if I'm in the yard and I see a car coming towards my yard, I'm going to want to move. I, I don't want to, you know, have time to think about it. And so the idea of these skills that I'm suggesting to you is more so about getting reacquainted with your body, learning your body's nuances, seeing where you may hold tension in different ways. And to begin releasing that um, through your breath, through more tactile ways, self-soothing, um, hand massages, having, you know, something soft to, um, to pet, all of those things are great. But when we think about how this goes beyond this, it's about shifting the areas of life where we're really tight. So if our shoulders are up in our ears, learning to lower them, because those are the ways that we carry our day-to-day stress and ways that are higher than we realize. Um, and so hopefully this gives you a good working knowledge of where your points are to begin undoing. I didn't realize I had so much to talk about that. I might have to break that down more. Um, so there's that. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. Um, any suggestions y'all have, please message me on Instagram at Lauren Ruth Martin. If you have time, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you ever leave a review, send me a screenshot of it. DM me a screenshot of your review so that I can send you some stickers because everybody loves stickers. Um, I'm so thankful that you're here. 2021 is showing us that it is here, but we're going to get through it together. So just have the week you're going to have. See you next week.